This is Alec. And this is Jack. Welcome to another episode of Smith and Scholar. Smith and Scholar is a multimedia project dedicated to promoting and encouraging young men to pursue and live the good life. All right. Well, we have finished discussing the four cardinal virtues. Yes, we have. But the good news is there are some other virtues we can talk about too. <laughs> there are there are a lot of virtues we can talk about. However, we are only going to talk about this one, and then we're going to get into some more practical topics moving forward. I mean, there are bits and pieces of virtues that are, we're going to touch upon uh, moving forward. And the idea too was to lay the lay the groundwork so that we can move forward. Uh, with the understanding of what the cardinal virtues are, because basically everything stems from them. And um, because this is a relational, well, because virtues are not lived in isolation and most people don't live in isolation, we also thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about some, uh, well, one virtue in particular that is very much about relationships and um, relating to others. And what is that virtue? That virtue would be Charity. Also known as? Love. What is love? Got to do with it. Got to do Baby, with it. Baby, don't hurt me. I, I, uh, <laughs> sorry, I got nothing. <laughs> well, love is ubiquitous. It is heard in many songs. In fact, when we said the phrase, what is love, we both thought of two different songs. And um, I'm sure 93% of songs from the 60s were about love or have the word love in it. <laughs> it's probably accurate uh there are rom-coms out there which deal about the topic of love um so that's media movies um and music uh but then again it's about relationships so love is something you've experienced from the time you were born hopefully until the time that you die uh with your parents at birth and then with your loved ones uh whether it's children spouse uh around the time of your death so it is a long lasting uh virtue and it's not just a feeling, which you know we'll talk a little bit that about that later, but it's um it's a relationship, it's a virtue uh, that you can develop, and it's important because again, it's how we relate to others, we're relational, we interact with other people, and um yeah, it's it's just I think it's needed to live life. So when you think about love in English, um, I mean you just think of the word love, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you can say, I like something or I love something. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you like something, you're like, it's good. If you love something, you might think it's great. And I'm thinking in terms of things. Right. If you like pizza, you're like, yeah, I like pizza. But if you love pizza, then, oh, man, no, I want to eat pizza like at least once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, you know, there's, there's like a, a level of intensity to loving something. And then also loving someone. Yeah, which is not the same thing as loving pizza. Right, no, not at all. <laughs> and I hope it's not the same thing for people. <laughs> yeah, I, do, yeah, I uh, hope not. Because <laughs> if it is, then uh, there are some relational problems that are going on. So it, I think it's kind of interesting that in the English language, uh, we do have the same word that you can use for multiple things. I love pizza. I love sports. I love my friend. I love my wife. I love my baby. I love my parents. And you use the same word, but all those are very different mm-hmm. relationships. So we're hoping that today we can explain a little bit more about what is love. And in 
the uh, classical sense of love, looking at um, love from the understanding of some of the philosophers, namely Greek uh, philosophers. I guess it was Plato who described these. Is that right? Mm -hmm, That's right. Yeah. So um, we'll dive into these four different domains of love. So Jack, you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So there's the first one um, is kind of like the most broad uh, type or understanding of love. And that in the Greek is called storge. And storge is essentially what can be considered familial or communal love. So it's that, that bond, that relationship, that feel and the feeling that comes out of that relationship between um, members of a family or even more broadly members of a community, um, a, a close community. You know, it's not like it, it, it would be hard to say that you have, you should maybe have a sense of care and charity for, you know, your neighbor who lives three blocks down, but you don't necessarily know them. So you don't have that developed relationship. So this is, it's more, that's why it's familial. Um, but even though it's, you know, in these, I guess you could say like a, a, a familial context or close knit community context, it's, it's a, um, desire and a feeling, um, or well, I shouldn't say a desire and a feeling. We're talking about virtue, so it's an action. So the, the so living out storge is more. Um, it proceeds more from a sense of duty than for any deep seated reasons that you might have. Um, maybe with the exception being um, the love that is between you know parent and child, brother and sister. Um, certainly, there are duties there, and or between like your grandparent and ch- grandchild, there are certainly duties there. Um, but there's also a little bit more there. But yes, that's the first one, Storge. And you know, this one I think uh is one that can be a little more difficult to recognize as um as a form of charity, as a form of love. Uh, mostly because, you know, when we like going back to the modern notions of love that we were talking about earlier, it's kind of forgotten, right? Um which is sad um, because we live in a society that's very, that's actually very um, individualistic, atomistic, and so you, there's just not this this sense of storge anymore, which is which I think is too bad. Um, yeah. Well, it's also interesting because, um, well, again, coming from a Catholic background, many uh, philosophers and thinkers in the Catholic Church who've dealt with the topic of love. A lot of them actually don't include storge when they when they're looking at love, and so I think that's interesting for one respect. And I, I can't pull up any um, any certain citations, but I know from things that I've read, it's always about the the uh, following three, which we'll talk about, and usually not about storge. So I think the first time I heard storge was actually sometime in college. Like I didn't even hear about it in high school, mm-hmm. uh, even though because I, I was just telling Jack before this. I read this book by Peter Kreft, and I thought it was called The Four Loves, but I think that's a, a C.S. Lewis book. So whichever book I read by Peter Kreft, I think maybe it was Virtuous Love. If if he talked about Storge, it was very briefly, because I remember the other three from there. And maybe it's because mm-hmm. the other three are, well, have more development behind them, more understanding, and, and I definitely was able to find more resources and, and read more uh, about them uh, in preparation for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But yes, storge, I think, is still an important uh, element. Um, and it's not about ordering the loves, necessarily. I mean, I think we'll see uh, one might be better than the others. But it's still a broad sense of, of love, duty, 
And so maybe it might be a little more shallow Mm -hmm. because it's not deep seated, but it is this sense of duty of like, what do I have to you? So it actually reminds me of justice. Mm -hmm. So you need Storge, I think, to live out justice or, you know, vice versa. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially because justice is an ordering of relationships. And when we're talking about Storge's, you're saying it's, it's all, it's all super relational and not from like, like you said, deep seated relationships. It's more, you know, these exist because, you know, that's how we structure society or whatever. And so there are certain duties that correspond with those. And like we were talking about, usually when we're talking, you know, going back to justice being about right, talking about duty, there's usually corresponding right. And therefore there's always going to be something that is owed to another. And so you could actually argue that charity is one of the, you know, living with charity towards your neighbor is actually something that is owed to them. And therefore it's just to live, out storge. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I think that's a, a good insight. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, we, we've talked about storge. I think it's pretty well understood at this point, um, at least, you know, for me, but you know, I, I read more about it. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you get the point of it being this communal uh, love, which is um, uh, not as deep seated and you can see it on a broader scale. So the next one, and I actually had some trouble in, again, like I said, the way I ordered these, I did want to talk about Storge first, just because it's kind of, again, not the deepest. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is Eros. And I think a lot of people know what Eros is when they hear it, or Eros, uh, however you pronounce it, E-R-O-S. Um, and because the words that come to mind that are derivatives of Eros are erotic, um, which usually invokes images of sex. Um, and carnal love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so, like, like you just mentioned, it's it it's very much like physical in nature. Um, but again, it's it's re- it's built on relationships. So I guess you can understand it as seeking love from another, um, primarily um, as we you know understand it as our culture typically portrays it as um, as physical. Um, and as you said, it's typically associated with sex and passion and desire. Um, and as you know, I think we can see in our culture, it's often the most, uh, maybe it's idolized and then it's also idealized. So like when we talk about love, um, and we'll get into the other two forms after this, but people often forget the other twos, the, the other two. And, you know, Eros is really all we focus on and it's, it's thought, thought to be the ideal form of love. And we'll, we kind of, we'll dispel that a little bit. We think, you know, that that's incomplete. That's not, that's not the whole picture. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think to, um, Again, when you think of Eros, when you think of erotic, you think it's it might be a little bit dirty or something, but I don't think that's the right way to look at it. Uh, I think a lot of uh, philosophers or thinkers... Um, I, okay, I don't want to generalize, but I remember one of the books I read where it kind of did paint Eros mm-hmm. as like a lesser form of love. And I don't necessarily think that. It's just a different um, expression or act of love. Mm-hmm. And it's not always associated with the physical, with the sexual, with the carnal desires. Um, it can also be associated with um, something beyond that. So again, you can think of it in in the form of sex between a man and a woman. But uh, so a man and a woman can have an erotic love uh, that um, is actualized through the act of sex. Um, but a man and a woman can also have erotic love for each other that is not actualized through um, uh, physical act, but more mental, uh, emotional form. And that can be conversation, uh, enjoying time with each other, um, something to that degree. Now, um, on a side note, I do think that 
those kind of relationships might ultimately end in some sort of physical uh, manifestation just due to the nature of relationships between men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, maybe uh, something for another time. Um, and when we look at the relationship and erotic love between a man and a woman that doesn't involve uh, carnal desires, uh, I guess it's usually called platonic uh, mm-hmm. friendship or uh, platonic love. So that's one way to look at it. And then the other way, again, not in the view of it being carnal, um, but it can also be this uh, kind of love for ideas and thoughts. So it, it sounds kind of weird, um, but when I when I was reading about it too, because mm-hmm. um, again, my whole notion of erotic love was physical, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, don't talk about that, but it's more than that. Right. No, yeah, and uh, it's kind of this, you know, you, you, I think you kind of... Um, see this and maybe some like more old fashioned portrayals of, um, you know, like love and passion. It's like a driving force, right? It's, it's that feeling in your gut that compels you to do something right. Whether that's, um, you know, like the old, an old tale about, you know, a man doing something virtuous to save a woman, right? Like it's, he, you know, he puffs up his chest and that sort of thing, but it also can compel you to like be, you know, like you said, pursue ideas and thoughts and action. Um, which is a different is a I think a cool way of thinking about it, and again a, a more complete way of thinking about it. Um, and again, it shows that uh, eros is not a lesser love, but it's just it's different, right? It's 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 um, you know it, it has all these facets to it and important facets, and it's not just the, that physical aspect that we see in our culture all the time. Um, and it's not you know it doesn't have to just be that. Yeah, and so. In this scope, we can see that it's not lesser, it's not just this base desires, mm-hmm. although that, I mean, it is a motivating force, as Jack as Jack mentioned, you know, poofing the chest out, but it's just, it's a different actualization, uh, as we'll see in future loves. And so, this is a family-friendly podcast, um, so <laughs> maybe, um, you know, we're trying not to be explicit here, so it's, uh, just keep that in mind. You can figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on from there, uh, we'll move to the third form of love, which is philia. And so I think uh, in in the English language, it's a very common term. Uh, we have uh, a city, Philadelphia. Um, when you say, you know, I'm a Anglophile, I love English stuff. It's the same root word, um, and it's uh, philosophy is the love of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So we can see uh, in our English language that this philia, this form of love, um, is is used quite often in our language. And the way that it works is that it's a mutual love. So um, while storge is kind of this communal duty-bound uh, love, this is a love between two persons that is reciprocated. And it's um, it can also be thought of uh, as a spiritual type of love, so it transcends more than just the body. Um, it transcends more than just maybe shared thoughts. Excuse me, but it's uh, something that connects two people together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it you know it it's not just friends, but it can also be this is a type of love that you have with your family um, and the love for others. And you know, speaking from personal experience, Alec and I, I think have been very fortunate to have really really good friends in our lives. Uh, particularly from our high school, like the group of guys that we essentially grew up with in high school. Um, and I could say that for a lot of them, I think this is a, a type of love that we share with them. Um, 
And so I think it, 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 in a way, I almost think that this love is often, other than Storge, this love might be the most overlooked of the loves because we don't really consider it to be that important. I think we take it at, take it for granted in a way. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, and it's one, it's something that you, again, it's not just your friends, but it's, this is the type of love that you can, you have to an extent with your family members. It goes beyond the store gay. Um, and I, I think it, you know, we're getting, as we get into the next kind of love, we'll see how, um, I think philia in a ways can be the, can be the base for, um, the next, the last, next form of love, and we can get into that a little more, bit more. Um, but I know, um, you know, philia, and I can't, I don't have a really good way to describe it. Now, like maybe you can get into it, but the, there's something, I guess, like conditional about philia. Yeah. So um, you, I guess, the way I think about it is, you don't just start out on base level saying uh, or reciprocating love to someone. Mm-hmm. And and I guess using the word reciprocating means that somebody has to do something for you in order to reciprocate it. And that's maybe what philia starts as, because if you do a good act towards someone else, then you return a good act, and then you're building that relationship. And, uh, and in the process, you are um, building love you know, between each other. I, it sounds kind of weird, but I guess that's the point. And you're growing in love for each other as well. So it's conditional in that you need to maintain it. There's a certain level of maintenance. And so at some point in time, it could, um, you know, you could lose this mm-hmm. form of love. If you continue to do good acts for another, if you continue to love one person, but they fail to reciprocate that love, then maybe you no longer feel love for that person and um, you no longer have this philia. Uh, you're no longer loving a person. So that's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that makes sense. And, um, just, I guess, thinking about some of my more serious friendships, I think that's definitely, um, what it looks like. And, you know, we'll, we'll stop here talking about philia because we're going to do a whole episode on friendship. And actually I think it's Aristotle who breaks down, uh, philia friendship into three different types. And we're going to talk about those I think next time actually. Yes. Um, and so we'll get into a little more detail on that, but, um, yeah, I think, I think we'll have some good conversations on, on that for sure. Yeah, so while philia is conditional because there's a give and take, the next form of love, agape, is unconditional. And uh, from a purely humanistic standpoint, I, I think it can make sense in some uh, circumstances, especially because the Greek philosophers, not all of them were deists or, mm-hmm. or uh, uh, believed in a god or they had polytheistic views. Um, I think it can still make sense. Now, it sounds weird like to give fully unconditional love towards another, because if they're doing nothing for you, then why would you love them? But let's take, for example, a baby who can really do nothing for you, <laughs> you know, out of their will. Right. However, you still love that baby with all your being, with all your soul. Mm-hmm. Like, you will do anything for them. And I think that's a very powerful image of agape for parents, for children, because you know what that is. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, I saw... It had to be a couple of years ago, but I saw an article that was talking about um, love in the co- context of American culture, and it specifically talking about agape. And it, I think that it comes from this understanding that agape love is what's called kenotic or kenotic. I'm not necessarily sure how to pronounce it. It's K E N O T I C, and it means um, emptying. It's self emptying. So agape is a a self emptying. It's like you said, it's sacrificial. And, um, 
I think the the parent child image is great. You know, I think agape comes from the Greek philosophers, but this idea of agape love is really, really touched upon in Christianity. And in fact, it's central to the story of Christianity. You know, I think the, the again, the parent child image is great, right? You know, in, in Christianity, the story of Christianity is a, a loving God who creates man, man falls and is basically helpless, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, is, is like the child, right? You know, can't really do anything for God. God created us to, you know, love him and worship him and to know him. Um, but for all intents and purposes, man continues to fail at that. And so what does God do? He sends his son created in his image, fully God, fully man to sacrifice himself, a total outpouring of himself as total self emptying in order to save his creation. So I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, I, that's, you know, in the Christian context, that's, that's really, really agape is hit upon, um, quite hard. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's clear to see the unconditional love because again, if people, if humanity keeps on failing to live up to um you know, their full potential, which is all the time, which is me, which is mm-hmm. Jack. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, but <laughs> <laughs> I I unfortunately I do in fact fail to live up to my full potential. <laughs> so, um and then you have a god which um you know, we come from the stance that god is all-knowing, all-loving, mm-hmm. all-powerful. Um, and several other, uh, you know, perfections, uh, degrees of perfection. So, and you have imperfect beings who uh, can't live up to that. Um, well, who don't live up to that. Well, then, of course, uh, an imperfect being would eventually say, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm done with this in this relationship. I no longer love you." Mm-hmm. But again, from our from our stance, uh, the Christian God, um, our God, uh, does have agape for us. He does uh, love us unconditionally. So this has been studied. Uh, throughout the past two millennia because of of the example that uh, God gives us in agape of self-giving love. Yeah, and, you know, I think we're uh, something that comes to mind here, um, we talked about fortitude last week and how fortitude is specifically this willingness to endure, to self-sacrifice. And so I think there's really, you know, uh, when we're talking about charity, um, it kind of makes sense to follow from fortitude because in order to, you know, at least at, to the greatest extent, agape, uh, in order to, but in all the, in all the forms of love that we're talking about, there's this level of self-sacrifice involved. So you need fortitude. You need to be willing to do that. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I just wanted to add there about that is that we, you know, fortitude is, is maybe it's again, going back to this understanding of machismo or manliness, like fortitude, it's, it's kind of countercultural, right? Like, you know, we don't often talk about love, um, when we talk about what a man is, but that's, it's very integral to what a, who a man is. He has to be able to endure to love. Yeah. Yeah. Because also if, if you don't love, then you don't have relationship with others, uh, even on a basic aspect. Um, well, I guess your relationship can be disordered if it's not love, mm-hmm. uh, or not based in love. So, uh, and again, agape, we, we talked a lot about Christian examples, but again, uh, the philosophers who came up with this were not Christian. Um, but I think we see a perfection of agape through uh, God. So um, now that we've covered these four different types of love, storge, eros, philia, and agape, uh, of which philia we will cover uh, more on those different types of friendship um, next podcast, next episode, um, we can kind of see what it is. It's this giving, it's, uh, and again, again, most perfectly exemplified in agape, this self-giving um for another. So then if we think about what love is not, 
I think a lot of people might think of hate, but hate is still uh, an act of which you are um, outpouring something mm-hmm. to another person. You're giving another person something, and it's not love. But that's not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is actually indifference. And that sounds, again, it may sound a little bit jarring because, you know, you think love and hate, uh, those mm-hmm. two words, you know, those two uh, actions are, are put together closely, uh, very closely. Um, uh, to, to pull in a comical example, um, Tom Haverford in Parks and Rec says uh, something along the lines of, uh, I get the girls to hate me because it's closer to love. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, like hate, hate is passion, right? Um, and when I say, whenever I hear that, I go, you know, peace is a lie. Yeah, you know, have you heard the Sith code? You know, peace is a lie. Peace is a lie. There's only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. That bad code to live by. But you know, um, but no, I think and hate. Tying it into love, if we love something so intensely, we should actually hate things that are counter to it, right? And that even that's itself is a form of love. So I'm, you know, we're, we're talking about the good life here. That's what we're focused on. You should hate the things that are counter to the good life. That might be a hard thing to wrap your head around, um, particularly because we live in a world where um, hate is considered such a horrible thing that no one should ever hate when in fact I think people secretly hate things all the time or they mask their hate in other ways. Um, but I think we should write, we can rightfully hate stuff. So yeah, I think hate, hate, hate isn't necessary. Hate is not the opposite of love. In fact, they can mesh and you can, you know, get the girls to hate you because it's closer <laughs> to love. Right. Um, and like you said, I think in fact, it's the opposite of love is indifference. It's not even acknowledging the presence of another person. It's not acknowledging the relationship you have between them, whether they're someone who's close to you because they're family or someone in your community. And so in that way, I think that's really when you find the opposite of love. Yeah. And I think we can see in, uh, you know, depictions of media. Uh, I, you know, this was the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of indifference is, is the neglected child Mm. because, um, I mean, it's a, it's a sad topic, but if, your parents love you, then you're happy. If your parents hate you, at least you're getting attention from them. And and again, for people who have a disordered relationship of you know hate or mm-hmm. their parents hate their child, then the child might will still act up or do something in order to receive attention from the parents, whether again, whether it's disordered or not. However, if the child is pining for attention and still doesn't get it, they see that indifference and it's the total lack of acknowledging someone's presence of realizing that another person is there, that's one of the most inhuman things you can mm-hmm. do because you're treating somebody as if they're not even human by not recognizing them, by not giving them the time of day. So I think it's really important to take note of because I think many times in our day, in our life, we can take this kind of indifference on, whether it's towards our friends who uh, you know, maybe don't respond to you and then you think, oh man, they don't like me, so mm-hmm. I'm going to you know, ignore them or... Um, uh, you know, you're out for a walk and somebody waves at you and you don't acknowledge your presence. I mean, that's, that's a lower stake example, Mm -hmm. but still not acknowledging another person's presence can be damaging, harmful. Um, and, and it's also not just damaging or harmful to them, but to yourself as well, because you are, um, if you're not growing in virtue, well, then you might be growing in vice. So, uh, by not uh, exercising love, by not practicing love, uh, even in the small things, uh, then that might be. Uh, an instance. So 
uh, indifference is the opposite of love, not hate. Now that, again, that doesn't mean that you should go around <laughs> hating and saying, well, it's closer to love than indifference. <laughs> um, right. But I, I think at this point, you understand the, the, the levels of, mm-hmm. of how this works. Again, just hate, just anger, uh, not just as in a, a, a just form of anger right. and, uh, and hate uh, can be healthy and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that we've gone over each of these four forms of love, um, you know, we've, we kind of thought of a few questions to discuss and we'd like to share those with you because it helped, you know, it might help you brainstorm a little bit and we'll talk about our answers. So, um, you know, we kind of, when we're talking about the virtues, when we talked about the cardinal virtues, we talked about developing and learning them. So uh, why don't we start with, you know, how can we develop these loves? How, how do we, how do we habituate charity? Yeah, so I think, again, with agape, we see the uh, perfection of it, which is total self-giving. And so, it, again, it's going to be pretty hard to start out a relationship mm-hmm. totally giving yourself to another. So it, it takes smaller sacrifices um, to give to another. And, uh, you know, when you're developing a friendship, I think it, it's pretty clear to, uh, to see how to develop it because you try and find common interests and like we're getting into friendship now because it's a part of love, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try I'll try not to talk too much about it. But um, as you're um, getting to know somebody, you will try and forego some of your interests in order to appease some of the things that they want to do, or or bring yourself to try and enjoy or at least experience some of the things that they do. So just that little form of sacrifice in yourself, I think, can help you develop love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's true. And um like you said agape is the most hard to come by, I guess, when we're talking about habituating it, but you can you can really see how, like you said, like the little sac- little sacrifices. Again, I I just want to tie it back to fortitude because I think it makes the most sense. I think when if you learn the practice fortitude well, you might actually learn the practice charity well too. And so that that's maybe some maybe that is a way in which we can habituate charity better is by also habituating fortitude better. So because I think that I think they are very much intrinsically linked. Yeah. So we also had this question, uh, which we kind of answered at the beginning was, is love a feeling? And not really, no, because it's it's it, are there components of it that are feelings? Yes, certainly, because you, like we're talking about relation, you know, relational. Um, your relationships and you know how you live relationally and that sort of thing and there are definitely feelings involved when you're talking about that but again we're talking about virtue and if we're talking about virtue we're talking about will and habit and that requires action and so um, it goes beyond just feelings it goes beyond um, you know if you think about it and you know charity what charity is is you know, I, we could tie all the virtues in right now. Again, like I guess charity is you know pr- prudentially you know discerning a relationship uh, combined with justice, recognizing what is owed to the person that you whatever this relationship is. Fortitude is the you know the willingness to endure for it and to strive for it, and um, you know temperance kind of you know temperance you can think about it like as in like what's what's like the required level of you know what the action i'm doing and it's different like and this is actually maybe a good way of thinking about the you know the the degradation and i don't mean degradation like bad i mean like or gradations that's what i mean gradations between like eros and philia and agape because they require different things right like you know we like we're talking about and so um in that way that it's all a a 
a will, right? You're like, you have to, you have to do these things. And so in that way, it's an action. Yeah. And I think also that some, some highly rationalists can think of uh, love beyond just an action because we have brain chemistry, we have emotions, mm-hmm. uh, we are a whole being, we're a human being, so we have body and soul. Um, so, but that also includes, again, you can experience feelings of love by releases of chemicals in your yeah. brain. I was about, that was about, that was the first thing, like Fritz and Kendall, which is wild and beyond my pay grade. And I will probably never understand how that happens. But when I've read articles and stuff about it, it's like, holy smokes, that's cool. Right. You know? Yeah. And I'm not a, a neurochemist or a neuro <laughs> uh, psychologist, so I don't know all these uh, different things. I, I do know some levels of psychology, but uh, again, that's, uh-huh. that's also beyond my pay grade. Mine's more on the cognitive experience. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so how fast do you react to things? <laughs> like somebody telling you, I love you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so it's not a feeling, it's an act, it's a virtue. And again, we can see that it uh-huh. is. it requires action. Self-giving is not just a feeling. You can't just feel, oh, I'm feeling generous today. You have to act upon it in order to show love, to uh, give love to another. So then the next part, uh, and I think we kind of touched upon this as we discussed this, and maybe the listeners have discerned to some degree, are some of these loves greater or lesser than another? I So I, knowing that this question was coming and thinking about it a little bit, I'm not necessarily... So I will say that I, I don't think anyone is more important than the other, if that makes sense, right? Like in order to properly live charity, you need to be able to um, properly live out Storge, Eros philia and agape but like i I used the term gradations earlier each of them requires something different and requires and particularly agape requires something so much greater than the other ones and so i think to that extent it is greater because it calls for so much more than you know so like starting with storge right like we kind of you know left it at it's like fulfilling a sense of a sense of duty right that's pretty you know it's just there, right? Duty's there. You have to do it. And then Eros is kind of like this, you know, driving, you know, like, you know, most of the time we think of it as physical, but also it's like, you know, it's, it's this drive. And then you have philia, which is this mutual love. And you, like you said, you have to develop it and you can easily lose it if you don't continue to strengthen those bonds of friendship. And then you have agape. And, you know, like I said, it's that canonic self emptying. And that is a, like a crazy step to take. Like, you know, I don't think I think there are ways, little ways in which you know in my life I have lived out agape, but I mean I've never, I mean ultimately like what is agape? It's putting your life on the line for the other, whether that be actually be your physical life or your reputation or something like that. And I you know I don't think I've ever had to do that, and so like that is re- that's really uh, like a, a higher call of duty is I guess you know. I said duty, but it's not really duty, right? But like, it's a higher call and a harder call to fulfill. Yeah, well, I I don't think I can add any more to that. <laughs> so uh, another thing I was thinking about is, uh, do we have to love everybody? And so when, again, when we think of it in just the English language mm-hmm. of love, do I have to love everybody? You think, well, not really, because if I love everybody, then I'm giving them hugs and mm-hmm. and treating them well and nicely and going above and beyond because that's what love is in in a more uh, Anglo, I guess, uh, English understanding of love. 
So I think beyond that, now that we've kind of covered these four different types of love, storge might be the most basic sense in which we can love everybody Mm -hmm. because it's community, it's familial. And when you're thinking uh, about the human race, well, we're one big community, we're one big family. Sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's true. Uh, We're all on this globe together Mm -hmm. and we all have a duty to help one another, whether it's something we can actualize uh, in the physical present or if it's something that we're going to do later on in our lives, we still have a duty to one another to be good uh, for everybody. So I think that's one way in which we can love everybody. And it might look different in different circumstances as well. Uh, moving beyond the global sense of humanity, uh, loving our friends, philia, loving everybody. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think there's... there's different aspects of it, right? Like you were saying, like there's different ways in which this is um, actualized. And I think, you know, we could talk about this more at some other point, but I think, you know, there's like an aspect of like being willing to forgive. I think forgiveness is um, a form of love um, and humility. And so I think in a way that that's an easy way in which we can actualize, you know, this idea of, you know, should we, are we called to love everyone? Are we supposed to love everyone? Um, I think that's, you know, that's an easy way to actualize it is whether can you be forgiving? Um, because that doesn't call upon you to like, that's a a way in which we should be relational with everyone is a willingness to forgive. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, but that's just something I think about because it's just not possible, right. To love everyone because we don't interact with everyone on a daily basis. We don't have actual relationships with everyone, but because, you know, and I say this because I'm Catholic and I, you know, there's certain, I have certain priors, right, as, as do you, about the understanding of the human person and what is owed to each person. But I think this is something that ev- everyone can relate to on a, on a certain scale and I think should and should recognize that we are in fact called to act in charity towards um, all people. Yeah, I think that's really well put. Um, again, going beyond just some of the initial thoughts of, of what it means to love everybody. So are there any other ideas you want to delve into or look into or? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I think we had a really good conversation today about charity and I hope all our listeners appreciated it and uh, learned a thing or two. Yeah. And I hope that this serves as a nice uh, stepping stone moving forward because we're going to get into friendship. We're going to get into other certain types of relationships um, and how to move forward in those. And this understanding of charity, I think is integral to those so that we can live charity and uh, with friends, family, everybody around us. Definitely. All right. Sounds good. What is love? Well, I think we can answer that question now. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Smith and Scholar. If you liked what you heard, Please subscribe to our podcast on all the major platforms, including YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Also, follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with everything we are doing and thinking. Finally, feel free to give us feedback and ask questions across the different platforms. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Smith and Scholar.